morning. We will continue today with a study we took a break from, the character study of uh, people in the Bible. We've taken a little bit of a break with Don covering some of the parables in the New Testament. But uh, the series we're in, the character study, the purpose is to look at different individuals in the Bible and to learn what we can about them and from them to uh, learn lessons for ourselves from the characters we see in their lives. Maybe sometimes we'll see good examples, sometimes we'll see bad examples, but uh, either way we can learn from them. We can learn from the good ones and from the bad ones. Today we'll start a series about the Apostle Peter. The Apostle Peter. <clears throat> and uh, there's obviously a lot of material about the Apostle Peter in the New Testament. We won't be able to cover everything uh, in the series, and certainly not in one week. So today we'll just look at the first aspect of Peter's story in the Bible, and that's Peter becoming a disciple. People, Peter becoming Peter becoming a disciple. Now, the word disciple is an interesting word to me because it's the main word that the Scripture uses to describe believers in the New Testament. Uh, if you think about it, there's different kind of words God could use. In the Old Testament, the believers are typically referred to as the children of Israel because that's what they had in common. They were the descendants of Israel or Jacob and Abraham. They were the children of the promises of God. In the New Testament, they're called chiefly disciples. The word Christian happens a couple of times, but the word disciples is the predominant word. And I was thinking what kind of other words God could have used. Well, uh, it's interesting in, in uh, uh, Islam, they call themselves Muslims. And Muslim literally means one who submits to God. One who submits to God. So you could imagine that would be a name we would want to call ourselves, right? We want to consider ourselves as those who submit to God. In fact, uh, Paul often introduces his, his uh, epistle by saying, Paul, a bond servant of Jesus Christ. He likes thinking of himself as a servant of Jesus, a servant of God. But the Bible typically refers to believers as disciples, not those who obey God. Now, there's nothing wrong with the a title, those who obey God, but I was thinking, why does God use this title for us as disciples? And a uh, verse came to my mind in John chapter 15, so we'll go ahead and open with that, even though it's not specifically about Peter any more than it is any of the other disciples at the time, and, and I believe certainly refers to us as well. John chapter 15 and verse 15. Jesus says, No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. And uh, Jesus is saying, I'm no longer calling you servants. And he uses the illustration, well, if I had a servant and I wanted something done, I would just tell the servant to do it. You know, please go and mow my lawn. I wouldn't have to say anything else. He's my servant. He'll do what I tell him to do. Well, Jesus specifically says, this is not what I'm going to call you. I'm going to call you friends here. Because I'm revealing to you all things. I'm telling to you all the things that are going to be profitable to know, to, for you to know. In fact, all the things that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. Please uh, come inside. There's lots of space. 
And uh, if I if I was to go to my friend Andy and I was to pick up my call, I wouldn't say Andy, I mow my lawn, you know, click. <laughs> I would say Andy, you know, my family is coming over. I'm really busy. I'm preparing a message uh, for Sunday, and you know, you should see my yard. It really looks bad. You know, what kind of a testimony is this going to be to my? You know, can you please come and give me a hand? You know, I'm I'm sharing with him. I'm telling, to, I'm showing him the entire situation. I'm treating him as a friend, not as a servant. And the same way, God calls us disciples because his primary interest in us is to come to know him. He is, he is revealing himself to us. He is teaching us things. He's interested in what we know. He doesn't just want a bunch of slaves that will do what he wants them to do. He wants people whom he can call friend. He's disclosing to them himself. He's revealing to them himself. And therefore, our principal title in the scripture is really that of disciples. We should be interested in being disciples of Jesus. Learn the things that God has to teach us. And really, the word disciple, the strict definition of it is student. Student. And it might give us some bad ideas. Most of us may not like our memories of being students in high school or college or wherever we will ask students are. And obviously, that's not the type of discipleship Jesus is talking about. But let's go ahead and turn to, back in John, to the beginning of John, to the first encounter between <coughs> Peter, who uh, at this point is just called Simon, or Simon, the son of Jonah, and see what we can learn about the process of becoming a disciple of the Lord Jesus. So Peter, chapter one, sorry, John, chapter one, starting at verse 35. Again, the next day, John stood with two of his disciples and looking at Jesus, he walked, as he walked, he said, behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him speak and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned and seeing them following, said to them, what do you seek? They said to him, Rabbi, which is to say, when translated, Teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and see. They came and saw where he was staying and remained with him that day. Now it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated, the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. Now when Jesus looked at him, he said, You are Simon, the son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated a stone. So here we have the first encounter between Jesus and Peter, and it starts with uh, two disciples of of John the Baptist uh, doing what John the Baptist prepared him to do, which is to follow Jesus. He points out Jesus to them, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And they leave John the Baptist and go to Jesus. And they're kind of timid at first. And uh, Jesus said, What do you want? Well, you know, where are you staying? And Jesus says, Come and see. And they stay with him that night. And really what we see is Jesus wants them to come to know him. And, uh, and Andrew is doing the, uh, the best thing that... Uh, that a person who's come to know Jesus can do, he goes and tells other people. And he starts with his own uh, flesh and blood, his brother Peter. He tells Peter, come, we have found, we have found the Messiah. <clears throat> to know Jesus. 
It makes sense if you want someone to disciple you or teach you, the first thing you need to do is know them. Without knowing the person, you could hardly expect to learn from them. But there's something much deeper here. Uh, to know Jesus isn't just the beginning of your discipleship. It's the meat of your discipleship. It's the end goal of your discipleship, to know the Lord Jesus. Uh, we, Jesus said this. He said, speaking to the Father and praying, He said, You have given Him authority over all flesh that He should give eternal life to as many as you have given Him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. You were created for the purpose of knowing God. That's why He made you. And that's why Jesus says, this is eternal life, to know God and to know Jesus, the one that God has sent, the one who reveals God for who God is. He is the, uh, the brightness of his image. By coming to know Jesus, we, we come to know God himself. And that's why that's, it's not just the beginning of the discipleship. It's really the process and the end goal of discipleship is actually to come to know Jesus. Now, in Jesus' first interaction with Peter, he says to him, you are Simon, the son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated as stone. There's actually quite a bit in here that we don't appreciate. Why is Jesus telling him, I know your name? Well, there's a hint for it. If you look at the interaction of Jesus with the other early disciples, for example, Nathaniel, later in verse 46, uh, actually, I'll go ahead and pick at verse 47, says, Jesus saw Nathaniel coming toward him and said, of him, Behold, an Israelite in he, indeed, in whom there is no guile. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered and said to him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, you are the King of Israel. So what Jesus was doing here is he was showing Nathanael that he knew something about himself that really only God could know. And that's what he's doing here with Peter. He's is showing to Peter that he knows Peter already. It really is a sign. It's the first sign that Peter is getting of who Jesus is. He's coming. He met a person whom his brother believed was the Messiah, and Peter is going to come and meet him. The first thing he, give, he gives Peter here is really a sign. He already knows Peter. And uh, it goes deeper than that. He doesn't just know his name. You are Simon, the son of Jonah. It could be that Andrew told Jesus he had a brother called Simon, the son of Jonah. So... Just the knowing of the name wouldn't have been such a sign. There's really something deeper here. The hint we have is the fact that Jesus gives Peter or Simon a new name. He calls him, you shall be called Cephas, which is translated a stone, which in the Greek is Peter. Right, so here the name Peter comes from. Uh, But Jesus gives him a new name, and he doesn't just give him a, a name randomly. It's a name with a meaning. The word Peter means rock or stone, is if you would a picture of what of what Peter is going to become like. And I'm not talking about what uh, uh, some teach that Peter is the, is the rock that the church is built on. It's not. The Lord Jesus is the rock that Peter is built on. But he does function, if you would, like a rock to the early church. He is a really solid person in those first few days after Jesus left them. He's the one who delivers the first sermon, the one who's willing to withstand persecution, the one who... Uh, stands by the Lord when the Lord starts reaching out to the Gentiles and everybody starts freaking out and Peter's like, no, this is the Lord. He's leading us. He becomes a rock to the early church as a personality. Well, 
going back to that, we can look at the fact that Jesus called him Simon, the son of Jonah, which was his name. Well, is there something in the name suggesting anything to us? And if you think, if you look at it, well, Simon comes from Simeon. Uh, Simeon is uh, the second son, if I remember correctly, of Jacob. He's not a really good person in the Old Testament. If, I don't know if you remember the Dinah incident, but uh, Simeon is the one that responds by massacring the people of Shechem. He was a guy out of control. And uh, Jonah wasn't, uh, again, the best figure you want to be likened to in the Old Testament. He was a prophet, which is good. But God says, go this way, and Jonah goes that way. And finally, when God gets him to go this way, he does what God tells him to do, but without the right heart. Because as soon as the people actually respond correctly by repenting, Jonah gets all upset about it. So you have you know, an unreliable prophet, a man that's out of control, and you probably have some idea of what kind of a person Peter was. And the important thing is Peter knew it about himself. Because he's been coming to John the Baptist. He was probably one of the disciples of John the Baptist. And John the Baptist was all about pointing people's sins to them. <laughs> so Peter's probably been thoroughly convicted by now by, by the fact that he was a sinner and the particular areas in his life that were weakness, which one being somewhat out of control, we see he's very impulsive in the New Testament. It's hard for him to stop himself from saying something, even when he's going to say not quite the right thing. And he also kind of flips back and forth. You know, one moment, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. The next moment, he's rebuking Jesus for saying something he didn't like Jesus to say. So, but Peter, but Jesus is saying, the wonderful thing is, I'm going to change you. Yes, this is the way you are. And by the way, I'm not rejecting you as an unacceptable disciple. I'm going to take you and I'm going to make this out of you. Which is really the other purpose of discipleship. And Jesus says that a disciple will become like his, like his disciple. That's enough. If, 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 you become like the person who is teaching you, like your disciple, discipler, or your master, or your teacher, the job has been completed. This is, this is the satisfactory end. And that's what Jesus wants to do with us as well. He wants to take us and actually make us like him. As impossible as it seems, you know, I'm not Jesus, I can't be like Jesus. Well, the Bible very clearly says that this is his end goal. And uh, we're all familiar with the verse, all things work together for good to them that love God. Well, it's very clear what it is. It's the fact that he's going to make us like the Lord Jesus. That's the good that God has in mind for us. So don't look at me with these doubting eyes. That's God's plan for you. He wants to make you like the Lord Jesus himself. Um, and uh, it's, there's a verse in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 3, verse 18. It says, but we all with Open face, beholding as in a glass or a mirror the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory. There's a connecting thought here. As we come to know the Lord better, we'll change into his image. That's the work that he's doing in us. So it's a progressive work. It's not going to happen overnight. It doesn't happen as soon as you become a disciple, but it's the end result of the discipling process. Let's go ahead and turn to, to Mark chapter one, we're going to be looking at all four Gospels this morning. Again, just at the, the earlier interactions of Peter with the Lord Jesus. And uh, in Mark chapter 1 and verse 
we have the next interaction that's recorded for us, even though obviously during this time there was many other interactions between them. Verse 16, And as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then Jesus said to them, Come after me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left all their nets and followed him. Just a short little passage. And again, there's not a lot that we see Peter actually doing here or saying here. And this passage was actually already covered by Don. I don't know how many of you remember, but one of his, uh, I think his introduction sermon into the New Testament looking at different characters actually mentioned what we really see here is a change in Peter's career. Up to this point, Peter was a, a fisherman, which actually means he was fishing fish. Well, as a result of this, Jesus says, I will make you fishers of men. Instead of fishing for fish, he will be fishing for men. And uh, the meaning is, uh, you're not going to go to the lake and try to catch people swimming. But the Bible tells us that mankind is lost. It's He's separated from, from God. And God is interested in bringing people back into a relationship with himself. So really, that's the type of work that a fisher of men does. He gets people from a state of not knowing God and he draws them to Jesus. Or really, Jesus is using that person to bring that... The person doesn't know him to himself and that's described as fishing here. Bringing people to God. Uh, what I wanted to focus on is what it is that Jesus is telling them to do. He's asking them to follow him. And I think here it's good to try to break from our mind a little bit what it means to be a student. Because to us, the idea of being a student of someone is to sit in a classroom with a pen in our hand. And there's a, a talking head there that's going to be talking at us for about an hour and we'll write down as much as we can. And at the end of the day, there'll be an exam. Or at the end of the year, there'll be an exam to see how much of that information we were able to get into our brain and somehow stick in there. It wasn't like that in those days to be a disciple. The teacher uh, was someone you probably lived with and you spent all your time with, and he didn't just talk to you, he had you do things. Uh, we might think sometime of apprentice in a similar way. I wanted to teach someone how to do something, I wouldn't just talk to him. I would say, okay, pick up the hammer, pick up the nail, you know, do what I do. I'm teaching him, I'm training him how to do the job. And that's the type of discipleship Jesus had for them. It wasn't enough for them to just hear what Jesus had to say. They had to actually practice it. They had to, to stop doing what they were doing and start following Jesus and doing what Jesus told them to do. So part of it might have been listening. Part of it might have been teaching people, healing people. Uh, we'll see in a passage soon, they'll be you know putting Jesus in a boat a little bit from the shore to help him with his props as he was preaching to people. So they, they were supposed to help. They were supposed to get involved in the work. And uh, I remember when I was uh, more involved with Jews for Jesus, passing out tracts, doing street evangelism, you never know who would walk up to you. And sometimes there are some really strange characters out there. A lot of them thinking that they're Christians, um, but having some weird doctrines. And I remember a guy came to me, and I forget exactly what he said, but the essence of it was that because Jesus told uh, Peter to... Uh, uh, come after me and I will make you fisher of men. And we have the example in this case of Peter leaving his net behind and following Jesus that we shouldn't have a job. 
we should just, you know, walk around all day and tell people about Jesus instead of, instead of having a job. Well, that doesn't fit very well with what the New Testament says. Uh, for example, uh, the passage we read today talked about servants needing to serve their masters. Uh, it talked about, uh, the Bible talks about those who will not work to provide for their own family are worse than unbelievers. And uh, Paul, again, commands everybody to work. If a person does not work, he shall not eat either. So really, the, the, the general rule is that you will have a job. That's God's plan for you to provide for yourself and to provide for those with you. But we still have the exhortation to, to come follow Jesus. And really, the best uh, example to that you had was this morning at Sunday school. What were you studying? Studying the book of Ephesians. But practical teachings... For example, he told you, okay, if you're a, ch- a child under your parents, living in your parents' house, this is how I want you to behave. If you are a parent, this is how I want you to behave. If you're a servant, I want you to do like this. If you're a master, and there was a passage about, uh, about husbands and wives in the previous passage. Really, Jesus wants us to obey him in our daily lives. He wants us to, fo- he wants to be leading us. We should be following him. And that will generally include having a job. Now, there, there could be cases, uh, times in which Jesus may not want you to have a job. And he has something else he's, he wants you to be doing with your time. Generally speaking, you will have a job, but he still wants you to follow him. And there is uh, going to be a pool. In this world, a lot of time we're focused on a career. And we think, what can we do to further ourselves? And if you have that kind of a mentality, you're not following Jesus. Okay, You could have a job and follow Jesus, but if you're... If you're always seeking for the next thing that the job has for you, you're not really following him. You're following a career path. He wants you to follow him to do the things that he wants you to do. Okay, we'll, we'll continue at the next passage. We'll see that this will be a growing thing for the disciples. Okay, they, they understood the message. They left on it, so following Jesus. But following Jesus is something that will become a deeper and deeper experience for them. And it will become... Lord willing, a deeper and deeper experience in our lives as well. So let's turn to Luke, the Gospel of Luke and chapter 5. And sometimes you have to study the context to see the timing of these things. If you were to look a little back in the passage of Mark, it's clear that that interaction between Jesus and Peter happened after John the Baptist was already put in prison, whereas the previous, the one we started with, was right after John the Baptist. Well, John the Baptist was still ministering, so we know the order. In this case, it's not as easy to see, but if you study it, you'll see that this happens after the passage passage we just looked at, which is important to interpret and see what's going on in in Peter's life and how he's uh, he's, uh, growing deeper in his walk after the Lord. So chapter 5, Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 1. Now so it was, as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God, that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two boats standing by the lake. But the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. Now when he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your net for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. 
Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid, from now on you will catch men. So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. So as I said, this passage follows the other one. And the first one, first thing that comes to mind is, Oh no, Peter is back at fishing. He's supposed to be following the Lord. Well, have no fear. Uh, this is not that uh, there's a passage which, where a disciple asked Jesus, allow me to go back to my family and wish farewell to them and, and then I'll come and follow you. And Jesus' words to him are very strong. He says, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. That's something actually different. The issue there was the person was really having second thoughts. <clears throat> he was really thinking, I'm not really sure I want to follow Jesus. And, and that's not what we have here. Peter isn't thinking about going back to fishing. Uh, he did his fishing at night. So probably Jesus was doing his ministry and his training during the day. And Peter was always there, you know, eight in the morning, you know, notes and pencil in his hand. But this was nighttime. And so Peter felt that he had the liberty to go. And maybe I shouldn't use the word liberty. Peter thought it was a good idea to go fishing. And he may have had various reasons to think it was a good idea. It may have even been that they were running low on supplies. And Peter was thinking, you know, boy, does, you know, we're just about to run out of food. You know, let's go fishing, get some fish. We'll do it at night so we're not missing any of the lessons of Jesus. Now, I don't know about you. If after I miss a good night of sleep, I'm not a very effective student. And, and we see that here too with, with Peter. He's busy cleaning his nets. And you could imagine he's probably very frustrated after a night of trying to fish and not catching anything. And, you know, might be bitter in his heart toward the Lord. Who knows? But uh, Jesus obviously knows what's been happening here. But uh, he's, he's slowly getting Peter's attention here, which is a very... It's neat to me how the Lord works with us. Uh, some people will use the word and say that the Lord is like a gentleman. He doesn't force himself upon us. And that certainly is the case here with Peter. Uh, he gets into one of Peter's boats, and it says here he asked him to put out a little. A lot of places, Jesus just tells them what to do. And here it used the word ask. If you have the King James Version, it actually says that Jesus prayed him to, to put. And, you know, Peter is showing some independence here, and the Lord is not just going to walk over him. He's, he's trying to show Peter something. So he's like, okay, come, Peter. You know, let, let's, let's do this, Peter, and see where this leads us. So, so Peter... Uh, gets in the boat and he, he, like I said, he's basically helping Jesus do the preaching by positioning the boat and maybe keeping the position of the boat in such a place that Jesus can preach to the multitude. And Jesus is done and he turns and says, okay, let's now go fishing. And Peter's like, Lord, I've tried this already. <laughs> this is not working. You know, it's not the right time. It's not the right place. It's not going to work. Nevertheless, at your word, I'll do it. Okay, so, so he is... He is teachable, and that's one of the good things about Peter, and I, I kind of skipped it a little bit. But up to now, Peter has always been kind of cooperating 
with probably many surprising things. For example, when he first meets Peter, Jesus, uh, the Jews' expectation of the Messiah was that he was going to be uh, some sort of a heroic figure riding on a white horse, waving his sword, and chasing the Romans out of Jerusalem. So meeting Jesus at close of a carpenter and whatever humble surrounding Jesus was staying in would have probably been a little bit of a shock to Peter. And, and then Peter, Jesus talking about helping Peter with his personality or his sins is again not exactly what they were expecting. Yet Peter sticks it out. He's, he's teachable. He's, he's willing to be educated about who this Messiah is and what this Messiah wants him to do. Um, and, uh, and here, of course, he's teachable again. All right. I don't think it's a good idea, but I'll do it if that's what you want me to do. And, uh, the Lord gives him the catch of his life, so to speak, and really probably the catch, the historical, the greatest catch in the lake of, of Galilee. It's not a big lake. Uh, boats probably were not very big because they want a lot of fish to catch. And so he got such a lot of fish, it was sinking his boat and the boat of his, of his partners. And really it, it showed Peter probably two main things. One, it's a lot more profitable to follow the Lord instead of coming up with my own ideas of how to fix things. And, uh, and the other one is he realized that he's dealing with a divine being here, falling down at Jesus' feet and saying, depart from me for, my, for I'm a sinful man. It's not the way you treat a teacher. It's the way you treat God. And, and so it shows it's, it's entering into, into Peter's understanding that he's actually dealing with God himself here in the person of this carpenter. Um, and, and really the best application I see for us here is the Lord doesn't want us to be his disciples from 8 in the morning to 5 in the afternoon or, you know, 5 in the afternoon to 8 at night or some section of time. He wants us to be his disciples all the time in everything that we're doing. And that came recently to me in my work. I was working on a project and I kept, you know, something kept happening and stopping me from succeeding in this project. And I felt, you know, I'm, you know, I, I understand the science of this. This is not too complicated. I should be able to make this happen. And it's just not. And, you know, kind of a, a light went in my head. I'm like, you know, I never even asked the Lord to help me with this. All right, well, you know, maybe I'm a good scientist. Peter was probably an expert fisherman. He knew how to catch fish. And he, he did everything necessary to catch fish. And yet nothing was biting. And I had the same experience at my work. And I turned to the Lord and I asked the Lord to help me with my project. The same day it was resolved. And that's what the Lord wants to do in every every area of our life. He should be our teacher. There's no area in your life that you're the expert and Jesus is sitting in the wings and waiting for you to do what you need to do and know how to do. Jesus is the expert in whatever area of life you're talking about. Um, uh, the last thing I have here in, in verse 11, it says when they had, uh, or actually verse 10, it says, do not be afraid from now on you will catch men. There's a growing effectiveness here of Peter as a disciple in the job that the Lord has given him. And uh, a couple of comments about that. Appreciating the job that the Lord has given us. There's, there's a verse in, uh, in the Gospel of John. I'll just go ahead and read it. It says, for this reason the Jews persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him because he had done these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, my father has been working until now and I have been working. What does that have to do with it? Jesus is asking us to enter into his work. 
when he's telling us to become fishers of men, this is what Jesus is about, bringing people into his kingdom. And uh, the Jews got upset at Jesus because he was working on the Sabbath, and, and he, he says, look, God is at work. There's a work that God is doing, and I, that's the same work that I am about, which is another reason they, they hated Jesus, because he was now equating himself to God. But uh, the, the main thought that that brings to my mind is God is at work in this world. There's a work. God made the world in six days, and then he stopped because he was done with that work. But since the fall of mankind in the garden, God has been involved in another work. And that's the work of bringing people to himself. And this is the work that he's asking Peter to join him with and the work that he wants us to join with him as well. And the other note I take from this is there's a growing effectiveness that comes from following the Lord. There's a lot of uh, uh, books out there that will tell you how to be a more effective uh, evangelist and to get people saved. And the key here that Jesus says to to saving people is following Jesus, letting him lead me in my life. That's what will increase my effectiveness. Letting him rule every area of my life is what will make me a more effective fisher of men. It isn't going to go and coming up with some new strategies of reaching the masses. It's following the Lord, letting him lead me. Now, he might lead me into a new way of reaching people, and that's something I've been praying about in this area. For the last three years, we've been passing out tracts at the 4th of July parade, and, and uh, we want to serve the Lord. We want to reach people as much as we can. We haven't seen fruit from that, and we're wondering, is there another way the Lord wants us to reach the people? We've been talking about that, so pray with us. Is there another way the Lord wants to show us of how to reach people in this neighborhood and, and be fishers of men, bring people to know God? Let's turn into the last passage that I have, and that's in the Gospel of Matthew. And chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14, and starting at verse 22. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up to a mountain by himself to pray. And when evening had come, he was alone there. But the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a ghost, and they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I. Do not be afraid. And Jesus answered him, and Peter answered him, and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. So he said, Come. And when Peter had come, down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus 
stretched out his hand and caught him and said, O you of little faith. And when they had got to the boat, the wind ceased. Then those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. So we have here the famous incident with Jesus walking on the water. And we have here perhaps a slightly less famous incident of Peter walking on the water. And the question that comes to mind is, why did Peter walk on the water? And <clears throat> there's uh, three possibilities that come to mind. One, well, you know, Peter wants to show off. He can walk on the water too. Well, he didn't do a really good job at that. And of course, the Lord would never have supported it. Peter had no strength at all to walk on water, not any more than you or I do. So he really, he turns it to the Lord and says, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. So, and, and Jesus said, come. Jesus would never say come or support Peter trying to show himself off. The other uh, possibility that came to mind is, you know, Peter thought it would be fun. He wanted to experience walking on water. And again, it wasn't a lot of fun. So it probably, that theory breaks there. And again, Jesus would not have supported uh, Peter doing it. And the answer we have really is, in verse 28, uh, he said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He wanted to be with Jesus. Okay, well, that throws another question because in this passage, Jesus next gets into the boat. You know, just wait for 30 seconds and you won't have to get out on the water. So, it's helpful if we look at the, uh, at the uh, context of this event to understand or appreciate it more. We have the context in Mark chapter 6. <clears throat> and I'll go ahead and I'll read part of the passage there too. And you may want to turn there as well since there are a number of verses to talk about. And uh, the, the main one is the very end of the passage. This is the same passage. In verse 52, there's a commentary on the passage. I'll start in verse 51 so you see how it connects. It says, Then he went up into the boat to them, and the wind ceased, and they were greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure and marveled. For they had not understood about the loaves because their heart was hardened. Okay, that's a clue. There was a reason Jesus was doing this miracle. He didn't, this wasn't, you know, just one of those standard, you know, miracles he was doing everywhere. There was something wrong with the disciples that required Jesus to perform this particular miracle. It says the heart were hardened, and it connects it to the previous passage about the loaves. And if you look to the previous passage in Mark, starting in verse 30, you have the passage of what we call the feeding of the 5,000. So in that story, Jesus uh, leaves, the, leaves town, goes to a deserted place with his disciples, the multitude sees him go. They want to be there too. And they come, and Jesus teaches them for a while. And it's interesting. We see the disciples start getting really disturbed about the situation that they're in. And we can uh, pick that up in verse 35. And when the day was now far spent, his disciples came to him and said, This is a deserted place, and already the hour is late. Send them away, that they may go into the surrounding country and villages and buy themselves bread, for they have nothing to eat. So there's kind of an alarm bell that should go in your head at this point. Wait a second. Is this the way the disciples should be talking to the Lord? Why are they telling the Lord what to do? It should be the other way around. He should be telling them what to do. And here they're telling the Lord what he should be doing. Okay, so you can tell they're very 
uh, disturbed and anxious. It's interesting, you see the, the next verse too. Jesus answered and said to them, you give them something to eat. And again, they're like, you know, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give them something to eat? I mean, they're besides themselves. Um, and uh, it makes me think of the time that the Lord leads us in a certain way and he calls us to do something. And we're like, whoa, this is impossible, Lord. This is not a good idea. This is going to happen. That's going to happen. I'm not going there. And that's kind of what was happening to the disciples here. They, they saw a very difficult situation arising. There were a bunch of people. They've been listening to Jesus all day. The disciples were hungry. They figured the crowd is getting hungry. And there's nothing for the crowd to, nowhere for the crowd to go to get food. This was a bad situation. And they felt they had to do something about it. Um, but really, the Lord had the whole thing in control. And at this point, he takes over. He tells them to see what they have. He tells them to tell the crowds to sit down. And he multiplies the food. He takes care of the whole thing. Jesus doesn't lead us into impossible situations that he doesn't plan to provide for. Okay? He was, yes, he was leading them in an impossible situation. But he had it in mind all along how he was going to provide for the situation. The problem was the disciples did not trust him. Okay? They didn't have confidence in him to help them in this difficult call that the Lord had for them. And that's why he did the miracle, or really this whole experience was to teach them to trust in the Lord when he called them to follow him into impossible situations. And uh, <coughs> Okay, so with that, looking again at what happened at the sea, we have at verse 45, immediately... He made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he sent the multitude away. And when he had sent them away, he departed to the mountain to pray. And you might ask yourself, well, why is the Lord stopping to pray here? And of course, the Lord stops to pray in multiple places in the scripture, so I don't want to be too dogmatic about it. But clearly, there's something weighing on his heart regarding the disciples, right? Because he just did this miracle to help the disciples realize they can trust him in these impossible situations. And the passage says in verse 52 that they didn't understand it. Their heart was hardened. They didn't, they didn't come to the point of realizing they could really trust him in this impossible situation he was calling them to do. And so he was probably there praying for them. <laughs> and uh, maybe asking the, his father for direction of what to do next to get to their, their hard hearts. And I'm saying that smiling because of my hard heart and my reluctance to follow the Lord into impossible situations. And uh, and so we see him continue, verse 47, Now when evening came, the boats were in the middle of the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw them straining at rowing, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea, and would have passed them by. Which is the one verse we have missing in the Gospel of Matthew that really explains why Peter said, Lord, if it is you, Call me to you. Or call me to come to you on the water. Peter didn't want to stay in the boat. Jesus, if you remember at the beginning, Jesus said, go before me to Bethsaida. He said, I'm going to meet you there. Jesus didn't have to get into the boat with them. Jesus could have kept walking across the lake to the city of Bethsaida. And they would have to have taken their time in the boat, which wasn't very fast. But that's where they were because they were not willing to trust in the Lord in impossible situations. And Peter seems to have been the most teachable perhaps at this point. He's like, Lord, I'm willing to follow you wherever. You're walking on water. I'll walk on water with you. 
Of course, again, based on the fact that this was really the Lord. He wanted to be with the Lord. And that's, and that's what the Lord wants us to do. Uh, I talked about discipleship. It's about following the Lord. He wants us to follow him in all areas of our life. He wants us to be willing to follow him into impossible uh, situation. And, and for different uh, of our, among us, we might have our, our own different limits. Uh, Don called me uh, a couple of months ago and, and asked me if I would preach about Peter. And that uh, will be a, a series of sermons. I've never preached as large of a series of sermons before. And uh, to me, it seemed impossible. But uh, I felt the Lord was speaking to me at the time that this is where he wanted me to go. And I had to trust, well, Lord, if, if it is you, you will also provide the necessary ability to do what it is you want me to do. And uh, I don't know how the Lord's been speaking to each of you, but I believe the Lord is working in each of your heart and wanting you to follow him more. And maybe he's been guiding you in a way that you think is impossible. And yet he wants you to trust him to also provide. And I'm not encouraging people to go on whims and go to different countries and do things. It has to be the Lord calling you. But if you have the certainty that it's the Lord leading you, follow him, even if it seems like an impossible job. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for the Lord Jesus being such a perfect teacher, such a perfect master, such a gentle leader as he leads us into the areas in our life you want us to grow in. Lord, I pray for myself. I pray for uh, the saints here with me for a greater, greater trust in you, a greater confidence in you, to see you work in our lives, to see the impossible become possible. Lord, that you might be glorified through us. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.